welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. So we are in a series <clears throat> that is called Foundation Stones, and last week was to kind of get to this week. And I'm not saying that it was not as important as I pray that all of you experienced it to be. And I wrestled a ton with that message to, to get it out, to get it out with the right heart, with, with the words that followed directly my father, you know, Jesus said that the words that I speak, they're not mine. They're from the father. And I think that one of the most ignorant things that anybody ever does is they stand up with a microphone and they think that they're going to tell everybody all the cool stuff they know. And it, I, sometimes I just shake my head and look at people like that and I'm like, oh, aren't you precious? You don't even know you're stupid. I know I am. <laughs> Thanks, Jen. <laughs> she didn't let that one go by at all. <laughs> Me too. I, I really do. I know in my flesh, in Steve brain, I'm an idiot. I know what Steve did to Steve. That was the best wisdom I could come up with. Almost ruined my life, almost wrecked my marriage, wrecked my finances, wrecked my health. That, that was Steve. Way to go, smarty. So I'm at that place now. One of the things, one of the reasons I encourage everybody so much to embrace humility is because the opposite of humility is you thinking that you owe that. And we know you. You ain't. The only thing good in me is Christ. Amen. And the older I get, the more that blesses me, gives me peace, gives me joy, because now I don't have to show out. I don't have to show up. I don't have to build up. I don't have to. I just pray that I am so unsteve that all I hear is the Father's voice his leading, his direction, and do the best that I can to follow him. He makes the best paths, and he leads the way the best. I just got to follow him. <clears throat> and if it was good enough for Jesus, it ought to be good enough for any preachers today, but we all know that the world's filled with preachers who are full of themselves. And I'm not going to be one. You didn't come to the Church of Steve Castle. This is the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I just happen to be the guy right now with the microphone. The words that 
Jesus spoke being the fathers also had to go through the way in which they were spoken. And sometimes we don't necessarily connect these two because it's not just what needs to be said, but it's how it needs to be said. And then there's also a third important part about when. It's a little less important when you're sitting in purple chairs on a Sunday morning because you've already kind of agreed to the when. But when you're communicating with other people, those three very important foundations have to be laid before you are ever going to communicate the way that Jesus intends for us to communicate with one another. You have to be able to say what the Lord wants you to say. Speak the truth in love. Let every word be seasoned with grace. Does anybody know what every word means in the Greek? Let every word be seasoned with grace. You have to say it in the way. In the way. I don't get to tell Caleb, well, I love you. Glad you're in my life. Super happy about our covenant together. You're, all the women in the room are like, yeah, I know what that is. If I don't say it the way that the Father wants me to say it, then I'm not actually communicating what he wants me to communicate. And if you say the right thing, the right way, at the wrong time, you want to know what I'm guilty of the most? Saying something that needs to be said. Even saying it in a heart of love and, and, and grace and obviously truth. But then saying it at the wrong time. Where I've actually had people say, I don't need to hear this right now. Well, what's wrong with you? You are wrong with me right now. And Honestly, I recognize as I spend more and more time in the word and spend time with Jesus, I recognize that that was something that the Lord did very well. Jesus shut up a lot. I don't know if you've noticed that. There was a lot of times that he didn't directly go into the thing that he was being led into doing because he knew. And how many times did he ask, did he answer a question that wasn't asked? And how many times did he get asked a question and he answered a different question? It's because he knew that the timing for what needed to be said and the way that it needed to be said was about something else and it wasn't necessarily about the thing. He totally could have took the woman at the well and said, let me talk to you about your jacked up sexuality, your broken marriages, the way that you're not honoring the covenant. Don't you know anything about covenant, woman? <laughs> Didn't even go there until he did. And we read the story and we're like, man, what wisdom. It is imperative for us that we operate in his wisdom in all these areas. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus ended a little exchange where uh, I'm, I'm not going to get into it. I'm not preaching on this. But he, he answered some of his naysayers by saying, the way that you're going to verify whether it's wisdom or not is by looking at all of her children. It's, it is way too common, especially in our society, that you see one single thing happening in one single person's life and you think, oh, 
Look at the sports star that's really good at throwing the inflated pigskin across the grass. They should be good at everything. Let's listen to their politics. Let's listen to their religion. Let's listen to their ideas. Let's listen to... No, they're good at throwing an inflated pigskin. Wisdom is born by all of her children. All of our children need to bear the fruits of the wisdom that we say that we carry. All of our children. And as we go into this, it's necessary that you at least have a grid for what happened last week when we were speaking on and sharing together some intimate sacred moments on offense. One of the illustrations that I did not get to that has impacted me, it's in my brain, is those of us that have read the Blue Book. If you haven't read the Blue Book, God bless you. But those of us that have read the Blue Book understand the requirement that there is to deal with our self-centeredness, our carnality, our flesh. And one of the greatest examples that I know of, of an illustration of someone who is unoffendable, which was the title of last week's message, unoffendable, is a dead person, which is what we're supposed to be. I was crucified with Christ, but nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me in the life that I now live. I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am crucified, but nevertheless I live. How's that work? Well, Steve's dead, and Christ lives in Steve. If that's true, and you come to offend me, and Christ is unoffendable, then the only part that can get offended is Steve, which means he just ain't dead yet. Uh, uh, Amen? We used to, those of you that remember way back when, Beloved Church started in a funeral home. It was the only place in Pearl City that would let me, with my long hair and my crazy twang, preach. It was a funeral home guy. He's like, I don't care. You guys can go have your cult over in my building. At least something's happening over there. And it was not uncommon for me to walk in Sunday morning at 5 a.m. when I come to church. It was not uncommon for me to walk into the church, dark church, 5 a.m., and flip on the lights, and there's a casket. What's up, man? How you doing? Oh, I already know. Because it's a funeral home. It's what they do. And I'll never forget when I first started preaching these unoffendable messages that I used one of those illustrations where I'm like, you know, this guy in this casket, you could walk up to this guy in this casket and you could tell him he's ugly. You could cuss him out. You could cut him off in traffic. You could call him a Republican or a Democrat. You could tell him he smells bad, and it's even true. You could spit on him. You could even go so far as to punch him in the face. 
And you know what his response will be to you? Why? Because he's dead to himself. It's no longer I that live, but Christ in me. You want to find out how much flesh you still got that needs to die? Have someone offend you. Because it's only your flesh that responds. Unoffendable people are dead. And that's going right into what we're going to talk about today. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says in verse 4, as you come to him, as you come to him, this is the infinite, infinitive in the Greek. As you come to him, the living stone, not a living stone, he's the living stone. He's the image. He's the perfect. We are to be as he is in this world. The living stone, rejected by men, but chosen and precious in God's sight. Please don't ever judge, ever, ever, ever judge your worth based upon other people's opinions. Don't ever do it. It is such a trap. It is a scandalon. It is a trap stick set by the enemy to tell you that your value, your worth, is determined by another human. You also, like living stones, are being built. Specifically, are being built today. Are being built into a spiritual house. Please note spiritual house. We're going to come back to that. That's going to be really important. We're building a house. We're not just building a foundation. The foundation is the necessary first step to the house. And really, you could say the necessary first step is to bulldoze the old foundation. But some of you aren't there yet, so we're just going to be over here building a foundation. But it, it does kind of frustrate me sometimes when folks come in from other environments, other cultures, because if you've been around any length of time, you know that we have something going on here that is not really happening anywhere else in the world. And people come in all the time and they're just totally convinced. Like, I got this all figured out. I know I'll add my little Christianity to what you guys going on. And I'm just, I'm sitting over here just waiting because they are going to be in conflict. Anybody ever seen a picture where the Mississippi River meets the, ocean, the Gulf of Mexico? And you can see the line that goes, it looks like forever. And on this side, it's the muddy Mississippi, and on this side, it's, and it just goes. And it's just water. Why wouldn't water go together? Because fresh water, salt water, they won't mix. And people come in with their salt water, and they're just like, I got this figured out. Let me tell you all the stuff I know. Like, God bless you. You're so sweet. The best thing you can do is bulldoze the entire foundation. Yeah, but I like that one corner. Okay. I promise you, we're not going to leave you homeless. That's not what the Lord does. That's one of the things that Kay and I did that set us on 
such an incredible journey was we just bulldozed everything. I had cult, she had nothing. And so for her, it was easy to bulldoze. Like she's like, done. I'm like, what? I'm five years in, still like, ugh, ugh, plowing concrete. What's wrong with you? Because I didn't, I had a cult. <laughs> the purpose is to build a spiritual house so that we all can live together as a holy priesthood. Please note, holy. Please note, spiritual house and holy. They are going to be important for today. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You know, one of the worst things you could do is offer sacrifices, especially for your whole life. Be a 40-year-long Christian and be offering sacrifices to the Lord and then find out at the end that they were not acceptable. Man. <laughs> and this is something that Kay and I have done before too because we've had preachers told us how to give all the time. Like if you want a new house, you got to give, empty out your checkbook. Give it and then God will give you a hundredfold return and then you'll build your dream house because we were selfish and greedy. So we wrote the checks. Never got the house. Wonder where the money went. Didn't go to heaven. Because we didn't offer the sacrifices that Jesus asked us for. We offered the sacrifices the preacher asked us for. God bless him. What you offer to the Lord, make sure it's what he wants. Brother Hagin tells a story one time he was ministering. <clears throat> and uh, a spirit of, of freedom and liberty came across the room. And, and, this, and this is back in the 40s. And so you can imagine this. He said some woman came up to the altar and she was crying out, Lord! And you got to hear Brother Hagin's voice. He's got this high-pitched, super twangy Tulsa voice that I can't do. And he said that this, this lady was crying out, Lord, take it from me. Lord, take it from me. And he said it finally got to the point that it was like a donkey brain at midnight in a tin barn. <laughs> That's how you know you're listening to Brother Hagin right there. And so he walked over to her and he said, sister, what's the problem? And he said that she looked at him, she just, she just screamed right in his face, Lord, take it from me. <laughs> and so he grabbed her. Sister, I want to help you. What's the problem? She said, that old snuff. I want the Lord to take it. Those of you that are too young to know, snuff used to be stuff that they would jam up their nose like drugs. And Brother Hagin looked her in the face and said, what would he do with it if he had it? <laughs> and this lady was shocked into spiritual unconsciousness. What? What would he do with your snuff? Jesus don't want your cigarettes. Jesus don't want your booze. Jesus don't want your porn. He don't want you to have it. He don't want it. There ain't none of that in his kingdom. We're a holy <laughs> priesthood that are offering spiritual sacrifices to him. You're not giving a sacrifice of your addiction to the Lord. You were all created. Every one of us was created to be an addict. 
We just got addicted to the wrong junk or people. You were created to be addicted to Jesus, to be with him all day. Let your soul be so connected to him that there's just nothing else you can think about. It's just like all day, every day. It sounds like Bible. I'll keep your word in front of my eyes and, and I'll meditate it on it day and night. It's just, I'm so addicted to Jesus. And every once in a while I notice Kay in a room. Like, oh, there she is, founder. Anyway, back to Jesus. And you know what she wants? Man, best husband I ever had was the one addicted to Jesus. The best thing you'll ever be for all those people that you want to influence is to be addicted to Jesus. Best thing you'll ever be. For it stands in Scripture, see, I lay in Zion, Zion important too, these are all going to tie in today, I lay in Zion a stone, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who believes in him. So him is cornerstone. If you're following, him is cornerstone. And it's where? It's in Zion. It's important. God laid him in Zion as the corner of the foundation. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. I'm one. You can be one too. Wouldn't you like to be a pepper too? To you who believe then, this stone is precious. Amen. Man, Jesus is precious. If there's anything precious in my life, in my heart, it is Jesus. Jesus. And he is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the corner. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. If you don't believe, you're offended by Jesus. <laughs> no, nobody could be offended by Jesus. He's super awesome. Really? Go check out my Facebook sometime. <laughs> Him, cornerstone, Zion, spiritual house. If you're following this language, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of New Testament theology that are tied into all of this. The name of the building, the name of the house that we're building is called sacred space. We're building sacred space. This is when the Father said, be holy for I am holy. Holy means something that's dedicated, committed specifically for the Lord's use. This is that we are in the New Testament, we are the temple of God. This is why they will never, mark my words, write it down, write it down for future generations. There will never be another temple built in Israel, quote unquote Israel, which is just a spot of dirt over there in the Middle East. The real Israel is you. Sorry if that offends people, but it's just true. That's New Testament theology. It is from page one to the end of the page. Israel wasn't a people that shared DNA with Abraham. Israel is a people that share faith of Abraham. And Christ is the seed. 
don't have time to go into all that. You can go read Doc, I Doc Ryan's article that he just posted this week. I implore you to read it. I helped him write it. I did editing on it, and I'm in complete agreement with everything he said. Real Israel is not some dirt, not people that live in some bordered dirt. Real Israel are the people of God. That over there is a nation, state, named Israel. There's a difference. God is building a house, a people, a holy separated people unto him. We are the temple. There will never be another temple. Jesus is not going to let people sacrifice blood offerings after he sacrificed his body as the blood offering. We are the temple of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 1. We are the temple of God. This is like rock solid New Testament theology. You're the temple of God. Where the covenant takes place. The temple was where the priests went in. And they offered sacrifices, they encountered God. You are now that temple. Jesus chose to live in you. You are the covenantal space that Jesus lives in. He's with his covenant people, he's in his covenant people. You are the sacred space that Jesus lives in. You are the temple that Jesus lives in. You are the tabernacle that the Ark of the Covenant goes around in. Why tabernacle? Because the tent moved with the people. That was actually what God built. David built a temple. God built a tabernacle. He built a tent. He wanted to pitch a tent because he wanted to live with you, move with you, go with you, and have the ark right in the center of you. You are that sacred space. You are that covenantal people. We are the imagers of God. This is Bible-wide, what I'm, I'm going to do today is probably going to solve a ton of theological questions that a lot of you have. This is the kingdom of our king. When Jesus came and proclaimed the kingdom, you know what he was proclaiming? The temple, the tabernacle, the people of God. I'm the cornerstone. I'm building a temple out of you. This is the kingdom. I'll be the king. You're the temple. I'm the cornerstone. You're the people of God. I'm the son of God. This is the language of the New Testament from start to finish. This is the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was the sacred space that God created for his son and daughter to live in. The Garden. It was the place. Everything was right. Everything was pure. Everything was perfect. There was no sin. There was no defilement. It was sacred. They could be with God whenever they wanted to, and God could be with them whenever they wanted to, because sacred space, God can live inside a sacred space. God doesn't live outside a sacred space. Wherever God is, is sacred space. That's why when Jesus would walk around and somebody had a demon, a demon's, ah, Jesus is here. Why would they freak out? Because he carried the sacred holiness of God. And so whenever he got close to them, they just freaked out. And I've had this happen lots. I've had people just freak out around me. Like, what is your deal? What is your deal? What are you carrying? It's not me. It's him. 
We're the sacred space. We're that holy place. We're the kingdom where the king lives. We're the covenantal people where the covenant exists. Inside this sacred space, it is covenantal space. It's Zion. It's Zion. It's the place where Jesus meets with his people. The mountain that's outside of Jerusalem, which is the city of our God. When you see Zion, you should see temple, you should see tabernacle, you should see sacred space, you should see holiness, you should see the king and his kingdom. All of these are, these are all allegories of the same thing. The garden. Heaven. Heaven is this sacred space. In heaven, everything's right. That's the sacred space that God lives in. That's the sacred space that he's inviting us into. Remember in Luke chapter 17, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is not out there somewhere. It's not in what you eat. It's not in what you drink. It's not a zip code. It's not a location. The kingdom of heaven is in you. Why? Because you're the temple with the Holy of Holies. You're the tabernacle with the Ark of the Covenant. You're Zion, the mountain where the priests meet with God. You are the Garden of Eden. You're the Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You're all of that. This is the language that we all need to embrace. So whenever you see these things in the scriptures, they all connotate the same thing, which is sacred space in you and in whatever covenant you are now engaged with. This is about to make some things be really, really clear. Luke chapter 6, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not what I say? This is a question that is still unanswered. I use this pretty often when I go and minister in political environments. I'm sometimes the capitulatory pastor that they invite into the political event. Have Pastor Steve come. He's a patriot. Oh, boy, you don't know what you're asking for, do you? <laughs> so I come, and I use this all the time. I say, hey, hey, political people out here that are all pro-whatever, how many of you are Christians? Oh, all this. Whoop, whoop. Don't you see my MAGA hat? Yeah, that makes you a Christian. Okay, how many of you were in church last Sunday? You're Christian, but you don't gather with his people. Like he said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Forsake not. And you forsook it, but you're Christian. Why do you call him Lord, Lord, and you don't do what he says? Don't call him Lord. Either do what he says and call him Lord, or don't do what he says and don't call him Lord. And FYI, if you don't call him Lord, what is your Lord? everybody's got one. Jeremiah said, oh God, Jeremiah 10, 23 says, oh God, I know it is not within man to direct his own steps. Mankind was not created to be their own Lord. Now you might put you on that shelf. You might build a little cute throne and put yourself on there and put a little tiara on your head and say, look at me. I'm adulting. I'm doing life. But you weren't created to be your Lord. And most of you, because you're here, 
you realized when you were Lord of you, it sucked. It, 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 it was real bad, real bad, like almost the end of you. And so you realized you needed a Lord that was better than you. <laughs> and you accepted one and came here. So just stay there. Don't, don't go away. Don't accept the fact that you needed a Lord to get you out of your mess, and now he got you out of your mess. And so then you're like, thanks, Lord. I'm going to go back to doing my own thing. No, because then you're just going to be that Christian, that mountaintop valley Christian, that roller coaster riding the highs and riding the lows. No, just keep Jesus Lord. It says in Isaiah, if we actually have Jesus as Lord, that he will make low the hills and he will exalt the valleys. Well, if you make low the hills and you exalt the valleys, what do you have? This is Lord. Lord means that you get to live in a life that doesn't rise and fall with every news cycle. Why call me Lord, Lord, but do not the thing I say? I will show you what he's like who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them. He is like a man building a house. That's what we're doing. Who dug down deep. 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 There's deep places in your life that need to be dug. And I brought my shovel. And if you hold still long enough, I'll get down there. Who dug down deep and laid his foundation on the rock. Jesus. When the flood came, the torrent crashed against that house, but could not shake it. Could not shake it. Because it was well built. I want to be well built. Amen. But the one who hears, I don't want to be Chinese. I don't but the one who hears my words and does not act on them is like a man who builds his house on ground. You know what ground is in the Greek? It's dirt. You know what dirt is? You. We're dust. We're dirt. You build your foundation on you? Well, this is what I think. This is how I feel. Let me tell you what I believe, preacher. I get this once a week. Oh, please, I would love to hear the theology of you because it's really going to bless me. Please tell me what you believe. <laughs> you poor, poor fool. It's not about what you believe. It's about what you should believe. He's like a man who built his house on ground, dirt, without a foundation. The torrent crashed against that house. The torrent crashed. Anybody ever feel like they've had a torrent crash on them? That's a human experience. If you're drawing air, you're going to have a torrent crash. It just depends on what happens when the torrent crashes. Amen. And immediately it fell. Immediately. It didn't even resist. And you, you know some of the people that I'm talking about where things just come and they're just like, I'm done. I'm done with Jesus. Christianity failed me. The Lord wasn't faithful. I'm out of here. I prayed. God didn't answer my prayer. I know you stood the whole 12 seconds waiting for that prayer to manifest, didn't you? Just hung right in there, didn't you, cowboy? <laughs> Man, tell that to Job and Paul and Peter and 
Elijah, Elisha, all these people that had to stand. You know, David ran from Saul for 13 years. He was anointed king by the only priest, the only prophet in the whole land was anointed king, 17-year-old kid, and spent 13 years running for the guy trying to kill him. <laughs> we can't hang in there 13 days. He spent 13 years believing the promise that was given to him by the prophet. He didn't even have a Bible, y'all. All he had was some weirdo prophet showing up pouring oil on him. And then went back out, took care of the sheep. Nothing changed. No warm fuzzies, no goosebumps, no angels, no shofars blowing, no pixie dust from unicorns that flew by. All he had was oil. They didn't even have soap back then, I don't think. And great was its destruction. Great. Mega is the word in the Greek. Mega. Mega destruction. And I know people like this that are mega destructed. Mega. Like, I don't know if all the king's horses and all the king's men can put that back together again. The collapse of a community structure hurts the entire community. You're part of a community and it's not just about you anymore. Maybe you didn't know that. Maybe you didn't know you were going to a church that actually is going to do like New Testament church. We're going to be a family. We're going to be a community. We're going to be committed to one another. We're going to have covenantal language. Maybe you didn't know that. If you're if you're like all puckered up right now, you're welcome to sneak out. Pretend like you can go to the bathroom and then just handicap ramp right there. But this is, this is a covenantal family. We're, we're doing something that churchianity is not doing. And most people won't. I get it. I get it. Most people won't. They don't want people in their P's and Q's. They want to hide. They want to be isolated. Proverbs 18.1 says that when you're isolated... You have eliminated the opportunity for anybody to come in and give you counsel that will make you successful. And the whole world lives that way. The collapse of a community structure hurts the entire community. When somebody that I'm in love with, when I'm in community with, when I'm in covenant with, when that person falls, I hurt. Most of you will never know. Kay knows. Kay knows the tears that I. That we've shared. People that were your best friends. Are not. People that you know that were called by God to be a part of building the community with you that are gone, gone. Went after money, went after notoriety, went after the exaltation of their own name, went after offense. You didn't just hurt me and Kay. You hurt us. 
And those of you that actually love me, if I failed and I fell, you would hurt. You would hurt. Because when you're in community, it's common unity. Common unity. And when one hurts, we all hurt. We should weep with those that weep and rejoice with those that rejoice. But because people won't do community, they don't know what that's like. You know, if you've heard the story about so-and-so at the church who had a rough time and you're like, oh, that's terrible. I'm going to send good thoughts their way. And then your next thought is, man, I am glad that didn't happen to me. You, know all, you all know exactly what I'm talking about because you've heard something like that and you're like, man, I'm glad that ain't me. Man, that stinks for them. I'm glad that ain't me. That means you're not in community because if it hurts them, it should hurt you. When a community building collapses, it affects the entire community. When a healthy structure is built and it stays healthy, it benefits the entire community. This was God's plan. He wanted a community. He wanted a family that he would benefit and would benefit him. What benefit did God get from his family? Love. Love. There's something about love that real, authentic, divine love wants to be loved back. Most of you know what I mean. And you know what it feels like to have unrequited love, where you have love that goes towards someone, where you want to see someone's life be beneficial and blessed and healthy, and they're just flipping you the bird and doing their own thing. You know what that feels like, that, that breaking of the heart of how that hurts. Now imagine you're God and you've got billions. Billions. And imagine you're God, your love is pure. Our love's not pure. His is. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Two places of sacred space. Heaven sacred space for him and his divine family, and earth sacred space for him and his earthly family. The sons of heaven and the sons of earth were going to be one big family. And in Genesis 2, verse 8, it says, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, where he placed the man he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord, the Lord God gave growth to every tree that is pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God made Eden. He made the sacred space place and he put his priests, son, daughter in that sacred space, in that covenantal space. He built a place that was going to be safe and sacred. And he told Adam and Eve how to keep it sacred. Guard it. And don't do the thing with the tree that you're not supposed to do with the tree. 
You know, the tree was in sacred space. The tree itself was sacred. But the way Adam and Eve encountered it was not sacred. You know, you can have a good thing and use it wrong. Okay, and I have a good marriage. We have a good covenant. And I can take advantage of it. Well, you know, okay, by law, she has to love me. Watch this. I could damage something good. God created sacred space. Now, these were the people that God specifically said in Genesis chapter 1. Let me remind you, 26 and 27, God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, and over all the earth itself, and every creature that crawls upon it. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female. We were the imagers that God created to live in the sacred space that God had made. We were the covenant people of God for this place. Back to Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, And the Lord God commanded him, You may freely eat from every tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat of it, you'll surely die. What's die? In the Hebrew, this says, you shall die, die. If you look this up in the Hebrew, it doesn't say surely die. You shall die, die. You will have two different kinds of death that happen to you. And they did. They died one way by being out of sacred space. They no longer could be allowed to be in sacred space. And so much so that there was an angel with a flaming sword that stood in front of sacred space and said, you ain't coming here. And... 930 years later, they died. So they died out of sacred space, and then eventually they died. They died, died, just like God prophesied they would. So one form of death is being out of sacred space. So guess what you inherited from Adam? Death. You inherited death from Adam. You were born outside of sacred space. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God that heaven came to earth to reestablish sacred space. We couldn't figure it out with the temple. We couldn't figure it out with the tabernacle. They lost that sucker. We don't even know where that went. They couldn't figure it out. They could not figure out how to keep the covenant, how to guard sacred space, how to keep the temple pure. Jesus went in there twice with a whip. Like, dear Lord, I gave you one job. Protect sacred space. Be in sacred space. This loss of sacred space, which then also caused a loss in our image, was the death that God said. It wasn't we just got kicked out of sacred space and we were exactly the same thing we were before. No, what happened was we lost some of the image because part of our image that God gave us only existed in sacred space. You will never be the perfect human without God imaging God. The only way to image God is with God on the inside of you. The only way to have that is that you have committed yourself to sacred space. You've committed yourself to covenantal space. 
Our image is only fully realized when lived out in sacred space. Jesus was the one who was the bearer of the perfect image of God and therefore reclaimed sacred space for humanity to live in with him. If you're in Christ, Paul said how many times? 28 times? If you're in Christ, what's that even mean? That means you're in sacred space. Christ produces sacred space. Now listen to this. This will resonate with you. Matthew chapter 6. So then Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Our Father, the one who gave us our image, who is in sacred space, not heaven somewhere past Mars, heaven right here, but in sacred space right here. Our Father who created us, who gave us our real image, who is right now in sacred space because he can't leave it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Honored, holy, revered is your, your image, your, your virtue, your character, your honor, your essence, your, your authority, who you are is revered. You are the center of sacred space. There is no sacred space without you. You are what makes sacred space sacred. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your sacred space come. Which is obviously where your will is done. God's will is always done in sacred space. Your will be done on earth, the new place for sacred space, the new heaven, the new earth, the new Eden, the re reclamation, the reclaiming, the redemption of the space that God intended for humanity to have. Your will be done on earth. In the same way, I want you to help me build sacred space where you can live in and I can live in together and everything that happens in this sacred space is exactly the way it happens in your sacred space. Give us this day our daily bread, which has little to do with food and more to do with being addicted to Jesus. And forgive us our debts as we this doesn't mean like while you're doing it. This means in the same way as, in the same way. Forgive us our debts in the same way that we forgive others. <laughs> How many want to bite your tongue before you pray that next time? How many of you want forgiveness from God the exact same way you're giving forgiveness? Kind of quiet in this Baptocostal, Presbyterian, whatever we are. We let the drums in. Do you want forgiveness from God the way you're giving it? 
You pray it. You might want to change your attitude towards forgiveness. You know what forgiveness does? Cleanses sacred space. You know what offense tries to do? Dirty sacred space. Forgive us our debts as we, in the same way, have also forgiven our debtors. Now, what's interesting is this word for debt is only used twice in the entire New Testament. The other place is Romans 4.4. And they have a version up here, the Revised Standard Version, that says, Now to the one who works, his wages are not reckoned as a gift, but as his due. And I know you're looking in there like, wait, where's the debt? Do. That's the same word. So let me, get, let me tell you this. When, when Pastor Ryan comes to work all week, at the end of the week, we owe him a paycheck. Why? He worked. I don't get to walk up to Pastor Ryan and say, got a present for you, buddy. Loving you. Happy birthday. Here's some money. He's going to not sing me a song. He's going to be like, it's not really a gift, Pastor. I kind of worked all week. Yeah, but I'm giving it to you in the name of the Lord. Here you go. That's cute. It's mine. <laughs> you actually don't get to keep it. They can actually put you in jail for keeping it. Why? Because it's owed. Forgive us what we owe the way that we are forgiving others what they owe us. Amen. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And in most of your Bibles, there's going to be, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Um, but that's not really in the original manuscripts. And I don't care. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with it. That was most likely added by the scribes because they were so excited about putting this prayer down that they wanted to make sure that everybody knew, like, this was awesome. And so I'm totally fine with that. But actually, the next thing that the Lord said was, for if you forgive men their trespasses. You know what if is in the Bible? One of the things it does is it kills Calvinism, but that's for another time. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. How many of you knew that was on the backside of the Lord's Prayer? If. And you start preaching on this, and you'll get people getting weirded out. They'll come to the altar, and they're like, uh, hold on. I know you can't be saying, preacher, that I'm only going to get forgiveness from God to the degree that I'm giving forgiveness away. No, you're right, sweet cakes. That's not what actually, I'm actually saying. That's what Jesus is saying. So send him your email that you don't like his doctrines. That's what he says. If you forgive men, notice men, <laughs> not your dog, not, not the government, not... Men, you know what Kay's married to? Yeah. <laughs> a man. <laughs> you, you, you pause too long. 
she, she has to forgive her man. A amen? And all the gals are thinking, that's right, I just got to forgive men. Because <laughs> I know some of the girl pals that the girls have. No, it's mankind. If you forgive mankind their trespasses, your father, your heavenly father, your sacred space father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive yours. How unclear is that? Does anybody need some deep exegesis? Do you need me to do uh, some hermeneutical breakdowns? Do, do, we, do we need to get into the Greek and the Hebrew and try to make this say something that, you know, the, the translators of the Bible didn't know how you were going to feel in 2023 about these words? If they would have, they would have given you a better translation that says, no, 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 no. You can totally be angry at people all the time and God is up thumb. The word trespass was used 22 times. All except for the three times that Jesus used it, Paul used every one of them. Seven of the times that this word was used was from Romans 4.25 to Romans 5.20. So if you really want to understand what a trespass is, read basically Romans 5. The difference between sin and trespass in Romans 5.16 is subtle but important. Sin is a general term for any defilement against God's way or space. A trespass is something that violates sacred space. Uh, sin is a general term that defiles things in sacred space, while trespass is a specific term for breaking a law or a command by unlawfully crossing sacred borders, which makes sense. If I trespass... That means I came on your property, right? Now, I can trespass on purpose or accidentally. I can just be out for a walk. Me and Kay are out for a walk. We're talking. We didn't realize it, but we got off the sidewalk. We're in somebody's yard. And if they come out with a shotgun like, you stupid couple, we'll kill you. Like, whoa, 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 my bad. You're trespassing. Whoa, 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 sorry. We were just talking and we completely forgot. Sorry, I apologize. And then he says, oh, okay, since you apologize, I'll put the shotgun away. No problem. Have a great day. Okay, Bubba. <laughs> or I can say, hey, baby, watch this. He's got, the, he's got my favorite bird feeder. I'm going to just go over there into his trespass territory, and I'm going to help myself to his bird feeder. Both of them were trespassing. One of them was accidental. One of them was purposeful. So trespassing can be somebody accidentally doing something and crossing your sacred space lines, or trespassing can be somebody on purpose getting into your sandbox. <laughs> Uninvited. So I need to help you understand this idea of trespassing and sin. And the Lord gave this to me. So Jesus came into our lives and he recreated the sacred space that God wanted us to have. We have a new covenant with God that now has a reclaimed sacred space. So as long as I'm here with Jesus, as long as I'm in Christ, I am in the sacred space that God has for me. 
And Ryan, do me a favor. Can you walk from where you are unto over there where Dan and Carrie are, please? And so Ryan right now is minding his own business. He's walking directly across and got real close to my sacred space. <laughs> this is actually godly. You know what God told Adam and Eve to do in the garden? Protect it. Protect it. Why would God want Adam and Eve to protect it? Protect it from what? Trespassing. They violated sacred space because they didn't protect it. So I have a responsibility to protect this. I have a responsibility to even have friends that are outside of sacred space. And I can totally have friends with totally carnal, ungodly, unborn again, Pastor Ryan. but he's not in my sacred space. And I don't leave my sacred space to go be with him. Now, let's say Ryan decides that he wants to go directly to the treasure chest. And so he's going to, again, walk the straight line between two places. While I'm in my sacred space, while I'm in Christ, someone is going to come and walk across my sacred space. You just trespassed. That was trespassing. I am so angry at that guy. He came into my sacred space. Now I have a choice. Do I forgive him? Or do I hang on to that offense that he caused? I'm going to give you even a better illustration. Okay, thank you, Pastor Ryan. Baby, will you come up here? Sorry. Part of, not, yeah, not you, my other baby. My, my covenant bride is inside the sacred space with me for two reasons. Because her and I are both in Christ because we wouldn't be unequally yoked. That's idiocy. How can I? If she was unborn again, and I was born again, this is going to make it really hard for intimacy. If I'm born again, I'm in sacred space, right? So the only way for me to be married to someone outside of sacred space is I either have to come out, and how long should I stay out here to be in relationship with her? Because the longer I stay out here, the more this world is going to become my world instead of this world being my world. This is why when you have relationships with people that are outside of the covenant, that are outside of the sacred space, you will eventually become that. Because you're not going to retract yourself back into where Christ wants you and actually become who you are because you're going to have to leave them to do that. And they're not going to let you because they want you. So we get born again and Kay and I get into the covenant, the new covenant of Christ. And then we get into the sacred covenant of marriage. Now we are in sacred space 
in the sacred covenant of God and we're in here with Jesus, which is what's making it sacred. So we're not just going to live in here and have rainbows and butterflies in Jesus. We would love for unicorns to fly by and sprinkle pixie dust on us and, and for us to hear angels all day long. But every once in a while, there's going to be an enemy. There's going to be an adversary. There's going to be a trap that the enemy is going to want to set for us in our sacred space and our way. I know you think this is a ball, but what this actually is, is dung. This is fecal matter. This is disgusting, stank, filth, defilement that Satan Bob just threw into. <laughs> love you. Not Satan you, I love the Bob you. So this no longer is a ball. This is sin. Note that sin is not a verb. The verb was the devil throwing it. The noun is the thing. Now we have sacred, now we have something in our sacred space that was brought in here by an adversary that doesn't want us to be in sacred space and doesn't want it clean. So now there is sin in sacred space. So what do Kay and I do? We get rid of it. We, we take it out of our sacred space. We are not going to have that in our sacred space. This is our covenantal sound. So what would that be? Any number of things that would attract you out of your sacred space to go and do it. You know what that could be? Money. In here, Kay and I, in the sacred space, we have a covenant. Our covenant with God was, Deuteronomy 8.18, I've given you the power to create wealth so that you may establish my covenant on the earth. In here, God has created the creation of wealth for Kay and I to share in our covenant, in his covenant, and we will create wealth in here. Or the world's going to come along and say, hey, do you want to be part of my corporation? I'll give you a big title. Hey, honey... I'm just going to go do this thing, you know, for like 40 years. I'll be back in a minute. I'm just going to get a pension. And then when I get the pension, then I can come back in. And, and we'll be good together, me and you. How about, if, how about if Kay has a really awesome girl pal, like she really wants to hang out with Stacy, who's out there. Stacy's a sinner too. Yeah. So, so, so Stacy and Kay are going to share some defilement together. How did she do that? She had to leave this. So the only way that she got out of our covenant was to leave the covenant and go share it with Stacy. You know, it's not wrong for gals to have gal pals. It's not wrong for guys to have guy pals. It is wrong for guys to have girl pals. I'm going to say it until everybody amens. It's wrong for guys to have girl pals. Amen. It's wrong for girls to have guy pals. Amen. If you are born again, every woman in your life is your sister. Amen. Or one woman is your wife. Amen. And if you try to do something with your sister that you're only supposed to do with your wife, that's yucky. Yucky. 
And I know you're laughing, but you know what happened in Leviticus chapter 18? He said, don't do that. It's an abomination. And guess what the next few verses are? Don't violate sacred space. Jess is my sister. Stacy's my sister's sister. They are in the covenant with me because we're part of the beloved covenant. So guess what? You're in a purple chair. You're part of the beloved family covenant. So everybody in here, we have a sacred space that we all share together and we should be building up this house, a spiritual house, to benefit the sacred space that we're all sharing together. And we're never going to let the poo ball get into our sacred space. You know what a poo ball is? It's a fence. It's, it's, it's lying, it's deception, it's tail-bearing, it's gossip, it's making things up about others. It's the fact that someone accidentally trespassed through your sacred space. You know, Ryan was just going to the treasure chest. He didn't realize he crossed your sacred space. Oh my God, let it go, let it go. I forgive you. Go to the treasure chest. I know you're doing something important. This sacred space, come on back, baby. I need you. This sacred space has no sin in it because Kay and I are keeping our hearts pure with Jesus and we're keeping our hearts pure with each other. We're sharing in this sacred space. I said to her 28 plus years ago, in sickness or in health, For better or for worse. I forsake all others. All others. I don't care about your family. We are going to do this until death do we part. I vow to guard this sacred space with the rest of my life and I've cut a covenant in my hand. I've cut it in blood that says I will protect this sacred space. And if any man or woman tries to come in here, if any dung balls try to come in here, my responsibility by God is to protect this sacred space. This is my covenant that I vow to you. And now she can live in here in peace. She can live here safely. She can live here securely. She knows that I will lay down my life to protect this sacred space for her. And she as well for me. And the enemy sometimes is going to throw things into your sacred space. And now we got to deal with it. Maybe the enemy threw this in. Maybe Devil Bob was just waiting for an open door, you know, like maybe a little, you know, we were sleeping and then shh, Devil Bob threw it in. Doesn't matter, it's in. Maybe Kay brought it. Maybe she was out with unsaved Stacy and came back with a dung ball. Maybe Steve, I know you guys would be shocked. Maybe Steve had a carnal moment and stepped outside a sacred space and went and had a fuss session with whatever government entity that God called him to minister to. 
and then I'd come back and I'm covered in dung. <laughs> and now this is in our sacred space. What are we going to do? How? James 5.16 Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. Honey, I don't know how this got here, but I'm pretty sure I brought it in because I know me. I'm sorry that I brought this in our sacred space. Do you forgive me for defiling our sacred space? Yes. Her yes is what casts it out. Her forgiveness is what empties out our sacred space. And now it's clean. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they wash you. Now you are clean because of the words that I've spoken to you. Sacred space has to be defended. The way we defend spiritual sacred space is by spiritual weapons. Forgiveness is one of the strongest spiritual weapons that you'll ever have available inside your sacred space, inside your covenant. You know what else is not allowed to come in here? Stacy. Now, Stacy can be in this great big covenant sacred space because we created this sacred space for every one of us to be in. This is all okay. And we have different borders. You know, I'll make sure that good doctrine comes here. Me and Ryan will work together to make sure good worship comes here. We're going to make sure that we provide for your needs. We have discipleship materials. I vow, I covenant to you as your shepherd to fight the wolf, to, to, un, uh, to, to get rid of any bad doctrine or, or bad theology. I'm going to strive with all my heart. I'm going to pray to make sure I bring you good, pure word, that I feed you with good food, that I, that I lead you to green pastures and beside still waters. This is my covenant. What's your covenant? To agree. To, to, to let me. To watch my back. To pray for me. To protect the sacred space that when people tell you that maybe Steve just wants your money, that's why he's always talking about money. Maybe you say, ah, yeah, I don't think that's Steve. Amen. And then you protect sacred space. And in this sacred space, I love being with Stacy. She's one of my favorites. She's my sister and my sister, neither of which I had before. And in this sacred space here, me and Stacy absolutely belong, but you know where Stacy don't go? Right here. This is our sacred space. This is ours. We protect this. So the definition of this covenant is different than the definition of this covenant. But the only way for you to have either covenant is by the one that creates sacred space. You have no cross, you have no Christ, you have no sacred space. You're in the world. And you know what the world wants? All of you. All of you. And it's going to get it. Hebrews 4.16, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
in this sacred space, I have boldness because I've protected it. We've protected it. In this sacred space, I have boldness to come to K or to come to Christ and, ob and obtain grace and mercy when I need it. Honey, I was out here. I got distracted. I got, I got enticed. A snake in the grass came and slithered and whispered lies into my ear and I listened and I wandered out of our sacred space. Can I please come back in to sacred space? Only if I know that this is important, that this is well-defined, can I confidently come to her. Now, I cannot confidently come to her if we haven't defined these things, if we don't talk about these things, if we don't have intimacy with one another. Because if I don't know that she's going to give me the right to come into this, or she's just going to yell at me, or hit me with a frying pan, or whatever some of you women do, that doesn't let me come into the sacred space confidently and obtain mercy and grace at my time of need. You know, you have it with Jesus. If you do something stupid right after church, don't do it in here, but right after church if you do something stupid, you know that you know that you know you can go to Jesus and say, Lord, I am sorry for that. And you know what he's going to say? I bled for you to have the right to approach me to have that dealt with. Does she have that? Does she know she has that with me? Can she be naked and unashamed inside this sacred space or is she worried about her husband? Can I be naked and unashamed out here in this sacred space with you? Probably not. Because as soon as I got naked, as soon as I exposed all of the real of me, somebody would be finding that thing that they're looking for. Some of you might have even come here today looking for the thing you don't like. This is why we can't have the sacred space that God wants us to have out here. So I guess I'll just retreat into here and live here. And on Sunday, maybe every once in a while when the Spirit of God is really on us, we can all live out here and it'll be great and there'll be peace and there'll be joy and, and the Spirit of God will move and we'll have great worship and, and awesome things will happen. But then, you know, I mean, eventually that has to end because you can't live that way, right? You can't just live in sacred space. We have to go out to the world. How am I going to eat if I don't get a job out here? Honey, how am I really going to be happy if you don't let me come out here sometimes? Right? I just need to go with the boys over to the strip club. I mean, it's, you know, looking ain't touching. I'll be back. It's totally fine. I'll protect this later. I'll protect the church later. You know, any old church has any old sacred space. Sacred space is just generic. You can just go anywhere you want. There's sacred space here, sacred space there. It doesn't matter what church you go to. You can just have your own. You just build your own sacred space. In fact, if you're really super holy, you can go home, do your own personal home church, and you can be the sacred space creator of your own church. You don't need to be in communion with everybody else. You don't need to have community. No, that's only for fools. Because you know what's hard in community? Unity. And because I'm not going to be in unity with you, I'm going to make my own personal unity. 
I'm going to be in unity with me. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiven one another, as God in Christ forgave you. When she brings, where's my poo? Who's, who stew, who stew my poo? That, that was me. When, when some defilement comes in, this could be a thought, this could be an imagination, you know, I could actually be in this sacred space, be in here with my covenant bride, and be in here with my covenant creator, my Lord and my Savior, and think something stupid. Anybody ever thought something stupid? Don't raise your hand. This could show up. And not dealing with this is how most people live. You know what happens if this stays in here long enough? the sacred space will start to fall apart. <clears throat> Anybody ever had a covenant fall apart? Don't raise your hand. Covenants fall apart all the time. How could that happen? Because something came into the sacred space that started to take over the sacred space. You know, if I spend enough time with this thought instead of her, in this sacred space, eventually this will become part of my sacred space. This will be my little online addiction. Maybe I just like, yeah, honey, that's great. Tell me about your day. Yep, that was wonderful. Anyway, so really love blue and round. Yeah, that was a cool story, babe. Make me a sandwich. This sacred space has to be guarded. If God asked Adam and Eve to guard sacred space in the garden, in the garden, then why don't we have to guard sacred space now? Forgiveness is necessary to those living in sacred space. Sacred space is the house that God lives in. Forgiveness purifies sacred space. If I bring this to my bride, I've had an addiction. I have been thinking wrong thoughts and doing bad things with those thoughts. Will you forgive me? Jesus, do you agree? Well, we're all in community together. We're in common unity because we're all in the same sacred space. So whatever K binds on earth is bound in heaven and whatever K looses on earth is loosed in heaven. So whatever K forgives is forgiven. Whatever K retains, the Lord retains because it's going to stay in sacred space. K forgave me, so Jesus has to forgive me. Now sacred space has been reclaimed reclaimed sacred space by forgiveness. How do you do this? By faith. Face to face is what God created for our covenant to be. Face to face. This is how we were created to be in covenant with Jesus. Face to face. 
And anytime we turn our back on that, we are headed away from the protection of that sacred space. Be it in my covenant of marriage or be it in my covenant with you. Whenever I turn my back on you and I'm headed the other way, I'm headed away from sacred space, headed away from you. This is why our walk, this will make all the New Testament language about walking with him, this is so important. Because remember, he's the tabernacle that the sacred space moves with. So if you walk with him, you're walking with the tent, you're walking with the tabernacle where the Ark of the Covenant is, and you are walking in sacred space wherever you go. And we are supposed to be going into all of our world and reclaiming the world and making unsacred space sacred space. When you bring in a disciple, you bring a disciple into a, a discipleship relationship. Hey, I'm going to build a discipleship relationship with you, and we're going to build sacred space in this discipleship relationship, and in here, we're going to have covenant. It's going to be safe in here. We're going to talk about things that need to be talked about. We're going to deal with things that need to be dealt with. In here, sacred space, safe space. We are going to be face-to-face. -face. We're going to be on equal footing. We're going to be submitted one to another in the fear of the Lord. We're going to care more for one another than we care for ourselves. Love one another as you love yourself. Inside sacred space, all that New Testament language that you have rolling around in your brain, now it makes sense. If you don't understand covenant, you don't understand sacred space, then all these things are just commands. Well, I got to do this, and I got to do this, and I got to read my Bible, and I got to tithe, and I got to pray, and I got to... No, 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 no. In sacred space, we learn together. In sacred space, we protect one another. We're kind one to another. In sacred space, we, of course, give each other mercy because the only reason we have sacred space is because of the mercy of God. All right. Thank you. Don't leave the real sacred space. Just leave my fake sacred space. <laughs> Luke 7. I want to illustrate this. Luke 7. Verse 36, then one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house. Jesus, the creator of sacred space, man, you are going to reread your Bible in a brand new way. Sacred space, Jesus entered into the Pharisee, totally unsacred space. Right? So what happens when sacred space enters unsacred space? the unsacred becomes sacred. In the Old Testament, if the leper touched the clean person, the clean person became unclean. In the New Testament, when Jesus, the sacred space, touched the leper, the leper became clean. New Testament is sacred space invades unsacred space. So Jesus goes into the unsacred space of the Pharisee's house that he was invited into, he was invited, and reclined at the table. In those days, they had very short tables about, yay, we've been, me and Bob have eaten at these in Pakistan. Sometimes they're not even tables. Sometimes they're like, just like huge beds. And you just kind of lay there, and they bring food, and they put it in the middle of the, this huge bed, and you just eat. You, and you kind of lounge, and you talk, and meals take hours because you're just kind of picking and talking and having a great time. So that's what was happening. So they were reclined at this huge banquet area. And a sinful woman 
from that town learned that Jesus was dining there. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume. This is very expensive. I've read on this, and between the jar itself and the perfume in the jar, they believe that it was somewhere between forty and $80,000. You think you have a problem with Bob taking an offering around here? You ain't never met Jesus. An $80,000 gift from a sinful woman was no problem because of love. You gripping onto your checkbook just shows you what you love. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Then she kissed his feet and anointed them with the perfume. She entered into Jesus' sacred space. And what came out of her was authentic. And the authentic that came out of her washed the dust from Jesus' feet because even Jesus picked up dust in a dirty world. And her release washed Jesus' feet because she was in sacred space. And, she, and when the Pharisee had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself that this man were a prophet. He would know who this is and what kind of woman is touching him. For she's a sinner. She was. But Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And I can hear Simon in his most pious Pharisee voice. Rabbi, speak on. You're in my big, beautiful house. You're surrounded by all my cool followers. All my Facebook fans are here. And so, yes, Rabbi, whatever you have to say, let it go. <coughs> and typical Jesus. There were two debtors to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay him, he forgave both of them. Which one then will love him more? What does love have to do with forgiveness? There is no such thing as covenant space, sacred space without love. Because he doesn't build it without. If it's built by him, it's built by love. This is guarded by love. So what in the world does forgiveness and love have to do with each other? I suppose the one who was forgiven more, Simon replied. And Jesus said, you've judged correctly. For those of you that struggle with judgment, you're going to continually struggle with the scriptures. We are asked by God to judge. The problem is we're supposed to judge correctly. And a Pharisee actually judged correctly. What a shock. 
And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Jesus did. When I entered your house, you did not give me water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not greet me with a kiss, but she has not stopped kissing my feet since I arrived. You know, the scriptures say we're supposed to greet one another with a holy kiss. You know, most of you I can't kiss on the sidewalk. And don't freak out, I'm not going to make a move. <laughs> but this is why. We don't, we don't really believe we live inside that sacred space because inside sacred space, I can kiss your cheek and it's holy and you can kiss mine and it's holy because it's sacred. You did not greet me with a kiss, but she has not stopped kissing my feet since I arrived. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. She honored the sacred space. She brought her love. She was moved by faith in his sacred space and brought her best. Therefore, I tell you, because her sins were many. You know, Jesus calls sin, sin. He calls fat, fat. He calls wrong, wrong. He calls evil, evil. He said her sins were many. He wasn't unaware. Because her sins were many. Because her many sins have been forgiven. Notice, have been forgiven. She has loved much. What came first? Forgiveness comes first. Love is the fruit of it. Those of you that are dealing with offense and unforgiveness and all that kind of stuff, you know what comes first? Forgiveness. Then the emotion will come later. Then the love will come later. Then all the other stuff comes later. First, the decision to forgive. First, the decision to cleanse the sacred space has to be done. And it takes a grown-up, a mature person to do it. I'm going to guard this sacred space and I'm going to get rid of the turd ball. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure this sacred space stays sacred. And then what happens is love comes in behind that because your actions created a vacuum that brought love behind you. Therefore, I tell you, because her, sins, because her many sins have been forgiven, she has loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. And this is where a lot of people in Christianity are. They really don't believe God really forgave them a whole ton of stuff. And so they don't really have to operate in very high Christianity. Because I'm pretty awesome. God got a blessing when he got me into the kingdom. I made everything better in heaven when I showed up. And you can tell, they ain't got no love. No love. Arm's length, stay away. We ain't going to talk about nothing but sports and weather, buddy. <coughs> then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. But those at the table began to say to themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? And Jesus told the woman, your faith 
has saved you. Go in peace. You know what this is? The sacred space produced by salvation. When you say you're saved, you leave unsacred space and you come into sacred space that is protected by a savior. And in here, he is the prince of peace. There is peace here. When you're saved, when you're in sacred space, you are in peace because you're in him and you are in forgiveness because you're in him. The sacred spaces that we're called to protect have different forms. You have family sacred space. You have marriage sacred space. We have beloved church sacred space. We have universal body of Christ sacred space. There's different sacred spaces that have different borders and different vows. My vow to Stacy is not the same as my vow to Kay, which is not the same as my vow to mom. I have a responsibility to the, my mother, honor my father and my mother. There's different vows that are on different covenants, but they have to be guarded. Forgiveness, peace, faith had to be a part of these sacred spaces. You're in one. You're in one. You're in a purple chair. You're in sacred space. What are you going to do about that? Please rise. I'd like to bless you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.